Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I mentioned earlier Steven Silas being a scapegoat a bit in this whole situation with the Rockets being as bad as they have been the past three seasons, the three seasons that he's been the head coach. But I feel like the focus, though, does have to shift now or or obviously shifts now that they're going to have a new head coach and Steven Silas is no longer going to be there. And Rafael Stone has been around now just as long, you know, for the same amount, for essentially the same amount of time as Steven Silas for the most part here. Uh, where obviously he's going to still be around um, yeah. for, at, at the very least for this draft and this offseason, he's going to shepherd all of that. So, so it's not a conversation about that in terms of when I asked the question where he stands, but overall, where does he stand? How much pressure is on on the Rockets general manager to get this offseason right, whether it be, like, I guess, the, the entire thing, free agency and, and the draft and all of it, and get this thing kind of in some sort of direction? Well, I think we could probably – he's on basically the clock. We could, have said, we could say this about Nick Casario right now. The clock starts now. And yep. the, clock is, the clock is now ticking on Rafael Stone and, you know, this is now his it's his rebuild. Uh, I, I don't think that I think that he's been fine as the Rockets GM. Um, you can quibble with the with a thing here, a thing there. You can say they didn't get enough for James Harden. His options were limited. They were going to send Harden someplace that he wanted to go to. Maybe that helps them get Harden back because they did that. They didn't completely poison the relationship. Um, you can say that, hey, maybe the Daniel Tice free agent signing was a bad decision. Well, I mean, they cleaned their hands of that pretty quickly. Uh, you can say they didn't get enough for PJ Tucker, or Eric Gordon, or Victor Oladipo, you know, whatever. You can quibble with little things. But I think the big stuff so far, he's done fine on. The, the big stuff are the draft picks. And they took Jalen Green second overall. I think as we finish year two, that's a good pick. Will there be better guys in that draft class? Maybe, but you're not, you're just looking to get a great player. And I think that Jalen Green has that in him. Um, they went in, they got Alperin Shingun. That's a really good pick, you know, for whatever, you know, flaws Shingun might have to get him with the, what, 16th pick in the draft. And they traded a couple of, uh, of protected picks in order to make that happen. Whatever you take the talent, the talent appears to be there. Um, the, the 2022 draft, the third pick, Jabari Smith Jr. is going to be a really good player. They got that one right. Um, the the 20, the 17th pick, Tari Eason, they got that one right. He's going to be a really good player. He's got a chance to make all-rookie uh, this season. That stuff they he's done really well at. They've, they've been able to use some of their other resources, whether it is finding Jay Sean Tate on the, you know, a, a, as a free agent in Australia, that turned out to be a really good move. The KJ Martin trade, that's a great pickup to get somebody like that with the 52nd pick in the draft. And if we do a redraft of that 2020 draft right now, KJ Martin is, is a top 10 pick easily. So he's done a good job there. They've cleaned up the cap. They have $60 million in cap space. That's a credit to Rafael Stone. Again, that's part of the hardened trade also. You know, they could have taken back Ben Simmons. That obviously would have been a huge mistake, but they have all this cap space because they essentially just went for the draft picks. So has Rafael Stone been perfect? No, of course not. Nobody is in these jobs, but his main goal, once they decided to move on from Harden and in that era, was to 
acquire young talent. They've done that, and it was to clean up their cap sheet. They've done that as well. Now, the hard part, and this is where he's going to be judged, and this is where the clock really starts, you've got to start putting together a team that can actually win games. If they win 20-something games again next year, that's it. They're going to pull the court on him in all likelihood. But if they can make incremental progress, then that's where then that's going to be the key for him. So he he's in a good position because there is a lot of young talent on this roster. But now can he turn that young talent into a basketball team that can win games? That ultimately will be where he's judged this time next year. Yeah, it, it feels like, and stay with me here, it feels like he's gotten the math and science part of it well, done the math and science part of it pretty well so far in these three years or at least decent. And I've talked before on the podcast about really loving what he's done in the middle of the first round with Alpern Shingun at 16. I know he traded up to get him, but to get him at 16 the year before, and then Tari Eason at 17, was it 17 or 18? 17. 17. Getting Tari Eason at 17, the you know, this, this past year. I thought, like, I really liked what he did in the middle. And then, of course, uh, Jalen Green. Like, I, I feel like, you know, I'm not going to try to make it seem like it was obvious to draft Jalen Green over Evan Mo- or you know over Mobley. I know you were a Mobley guy, um, and Mobley's been excellent. But I I feel like he's done the I don't want to call it easy, but just the formulaic. Hey, draft the top players at the you know benefit from being bad. Draft the top players at the top of the draft. Benefit from uh you know from the James Harden trade and all of that. Uh, and now this is the, the part that he's about to do now is the more art artsy part, you know, like putting together the like you said, the hard part. Like to me, it's harder to figure out. And Daryl Moore is a, you know, really good general manager, but it's always like th- there's always a, to be this challenge of figuring out like which people can can come together and make a team, you know, aside from just talent, but how how to actually make a team. Um uh, you know, aside from talent accumulation, they've done the math and science part of it is just f- finding out the talented players and accumulating them. And they've done that. So um, so that that part of it is, is, is cool for them. And I know that they're hoping they're praying for Victor. To me, that's like the eraser that changes everything that forgives all sins. You know, and, and, and we talked earlier about Silas. Is he uh, was he relieved or is he probably bitter or upset about it? And you're probably right. I'd probably side with you. I just. You know, I thought it was interesting to think about as a headache that he's kind of had to deal with over the last few years. But my goodness, man, if they were to get one of these two players at the top of the draft or really, I mean, there's a few players that they could get that could really change this team. Um, um, yeah, I just I could just only imagine what that's going to feel like and kind of watch. But, you know, I, I, I don't feel like. With Stone, I, I think it's just like you just got to acknowledge that a general manager is on a different timeline than a coach. And and that's in most sports. That's in pr- pretty much all sports. I would say that you've got to see progress. You've got to see um, you've got to see certain things from a coach sooner than you do necessarily from a general manager. Um, and, and also, uh, when they come in at the same time like these guys did, uh, it's going to be the, you know they're going to be the easier fall guy unless the coach is some like outsized personality that you know that really is in charge. And that's not the case here. So. Um, so that that's that's one one thing I think about this. I was going to ask you though, do you think with general managers and and like say like teams hiring a head coach like the Rockets are about to do now, 
and, and, and of course, like the Texans just did. Okay, they just hired D'Amico Ryan. You know, we just mentioned Sam Cassell. You know, bringing you know Houston nostalgia and all of that. But do you think like coaches that are getting hired now have to like have this sort of an acceptance of the involvement of a general manager? Because I know you read the story from the Athletic and all of the mention of, and, and we know about this. You you've talked about this and reported some of this, but you know the involvement of Rafael Stone in a into a, some somewhat of the day to day uh, minutia of the team and some incidents of whether it's interrupting a the film session or whatever it may be or just kind of being hands on and involved. Do you think? It, do you get the sense that that's something that's more unusual or something that coaching candidates are going to have to sort of just accept as part of the job going forward? I don't know how many GMs are interrupting practices. I, I you know, I, I can't speak to that. It does. It does not seem like it's normal. I don't think it's, you know, I don't think it's, you know, not normal for a GM to be at practice, but you know, it's some of the stuff has been a little seemingly abnormal. Um, and you read the stuff today about it, you know, it is what it is, but that's going to be on the head coach to set boundaries. And if you are a head coach and you don't want the GM interrupting practices or, or you know doing stuff like that, then you've got to set those ground rules right away. Now, if if that is if that you know keeps you from getting hired, well then that's a problem, and that's a problem within the organization. So, you know, Rafael Stone should be comfortable, and and I get Rafael Stone wanting to be involved and wanting to be hands on because ultimately this is his job, this is his livelihood, and he wants to make sure that it's going in the direction that he sees fit. But at the other, uh, you know, but you know, the other point is you hire a coach, let him coach. If you want to, if you want to coach the team, then hire yourself to do that job. So. I do think that it's fine to be hands-on, but you've got to understand the boundaries and you've got to understand that, Hey, I'm hiring this guy to do a job. I have to trust him and let him do that job. Otherwise, what's the point? And, and I do think that, you know, whoever takes this job is probably going to have to make sure that, Hey, I need to have some free reign here and I can't have you doing what it is reported that you were doing with the last guy. Yeah, man. It's just interesting to me now that we're in, sort of this information age, this analytics age, where it seems like, you know, everyone probably feels like they know more than they ever have. And it's probably true. I would say like we we can quantify things that we couldn't quantify before, or just didn't know how to quantify before. And I feel like the smarter a general manager or an executive thinks they are, the more prone they might feel to be involved in some of the day-to-day -day stuff, because, you know, back in the day, what did a general manager know that a coach didn't? But today, you know, the general manager has access to information that a coach probably doesn't, might not even always necessarily have time to digest. And so it's just an interesting. And so now the coach, I'm sorry, the general manager or the executive or whoever it is, feels like they know more than the coach because they're in an office somewhere or scouting or, what you know, whatever they're doing, consuming all of this information while the coach is trying to coach. And I don't know. I'm not saying that's exactly what was going on with with Steven Silas or Rafael Stone. I'm I'm just looking at the, you know, the relationship dynamic of it of, you know, the the general manager who's the boss, but also has more information and knows more than they ever have. It feels like, and you know, it obviously feels like this uh this comfort level of sort of imposing a little bit. I also wonder. You talked about setting boundaries. If it's a matter of like hiring a coach who just, you know would set that boundary uh, you know off top or like also hiring a coach who you wouldn't feel like you need to do that with you know like I, I wonder how much of it is that too with Silas being a first-time head coach 
and um and if they got a guy who was more experienced if you you know if that would give stone a reason to kind of lay back a little bit or somebody with a pelt on the wall like sam cassell or something like that yeah maybe but i mean at the end of the day stone was the one who who hired silas so if you're gonna hire him you might as well let him do the job 